Amen. Let's turn to Luke 11. And we'll stand as we hear the reading of God's Word. Luke 11, starting at verse 45. This is God's holy and infallible Word. Luke 11, verse 45. One of the lawyers said to him in reply, Teacher, when you say this, you insult us too. But he said, Woe to you lawyers as well, for you weigh men down with burdens hard to bear, while you yourselves will not even touch the burdens with one of your fingers. Woe to you, for you build the tombs of the prophets, and it was your fathers who killed them. So you are witnesses, and approve the deeds of your fathers, because it was they who killed them, and you build their tombs. For this reason also the wisdom of God said, I will send to them prophets and apostles, and some they will kill, and some they will persecute, so that the blood of all the prophets shed since the foundation of the world may be charged against this generation from the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah who was killed between the altar and the house of God. Yes, I tell you, it shall be charged against this generation. Woe to you lawyers, for you have taken away the key of knowledge. You yourselves did not enter, and you hindered those who were entering. When he left there, the scribes and the Pharisees began to be very hostile and to question him closely on many subjects, plotting against him to catch him in something he might say. Let's pray. Thank you for this, your word, our glorious and merciful Father. Help us by means of this word that you would help us to attain the key to knowledge and wisdom and salvation through your holy word, through Jesus Christ, our Savior, in whose name we pray, amen. Please be seated. It's a noble thing for a person to pursue an education in seminary and then later on to pursue an ordained calling, maybe not even in seminary, maybe they want to pursue education in, in uh, theological studies at a university somewhere. Maybe they want to teach at a university um, on theology. But sadly, what has happened with some in, in the midst of their studies, rather than helping people with their faith, they, act, they actually have hindered them from coming to a saving faith in Christ. What I'm talking about here especially is liberal theology. Um, I, I read a book where a professor... Uh, of uh, the Old Testament was hearing a lecture and uh, this particular lecture he was hearing from was from a renowned theologian and this renowned theologian was preaching on the gospel according to Paul on total depravity and on election, sanctification and things of that sort especially from places like Romans it was basically an overview of the entire teaching of Paul in the New Testament and this 
professor named Dr. Moses Silva was loving what he was listening to. But then after the class, one of the students asked the professor, do you believe this? No, I don't believe this, but that's what Paul taught. He was a professor, but didn't even believe the doctrines of the Holy Scriptures. And some spend a great deal of time studying the Word of God and studying theology, yet their doctrine is concealed. It has no true gospel in it. It has the keys of wisdom, the keys of knowledge, and even the key of salvation through Jesus hidden for those who listen to them. Getting to today's text, um, this is following up where after a time Jesus has already performed many miracles. Uh, he's healed many. He's cast out demons. Everyone who has met Jesus knows that Jesus is a worker of signs and wonders. And they know that Jesus preaches and teaches like no other. He preaches as authority, unlike the scribes and Pharisees. Um, and earlier in the chapter, in chapter 11, there's actually a Pharisee who's standing by listening to the preaching of Jesus. And immediately after Jesus finishes talking, he invites them, he invites Jesus into his home. Jesus agrees to go into the, into the home of the Pharisee. The Pharisee also has scribes, or I'll go to tell you in a little bit, lawyers, scribes, lawyers, same thing, present all in this home. Well, at least we guess it's a home. Uh, but Jesus doesn't agree to washing his hands in a ceremonial manner before eating of the meal. And they take offense to this. Because Jesus is not willing to follow the man-made tradition of the elders. And that's why they were opposed to him and they were astounded at Jesus. And then Jesus begins to pronounce a series of woes to the Pharisees. And the Pharisees have asked some scribes or lawyers to be with them to give Jesus some backup. I mean, to give the Pharisees backup when confronting Jesus. And... Here we have at the beginning of the text, one of them says this. One of the lawyers was offended, I guess, at what was said against the Pharisees. Teacher, when you say this and you insult these Pharisees, you insult us too. Now, I'm mostly going to focus on what is told here in this text in regard to history, in regard to theology, but I do hope that I'll be able to bring out some practical applications for this text. You are called by God to avoid the ways the lawyers or any other people hinder the faith. You are to avoid those who hinder the faith. And we'll see how the lawyers did this in three ways. They were weighing men down with burdens. They were approving the murder of the prophets. And thirdly, they were removing the key of knowledge. So let's look at this weighing men down with burdens. Verse 46. But he said, Woe to you lawyers as well, for you weigh men down with burdens hard to bear, while you yourselves will not even touch the burdens with one of your fingers. Okay. Keep in mind that scribe, and lawyer should be used interchangeably. 
People think of a scribe as somebody who sits down at, at a desk and copies before the printing press, copies manuscript after manuscript, manuscript after manuscript, manuscript after manuscript. They may have done some of that, but that was a job for someone less trained. These scribes were scholars in the Old Testament law. Scribes, lawyers, same thing. Alfred Edersheim, um, who was a Jewish convert to Christianity, wrote a book, a very fabulous book, uh, called The Life and Times of Jesus the Messiah. And in this book, he gives his identity of what he believes a scribe or a lawyer was at the time when Jesus was alive and how the people looked at him. I'll, I'll read this to you and just uh, listen. The scribe, the lawyer. He is the divine aristocrat. Among the vulgar herd of rude and profane country people who know not the law and are cursed. More than that, his orders constitute ultimate authority on all questions of faith and practice. He is the exegete of the laws, the teacher of the law, and along with the chief priests and elders, a judge in ecclesiastical tribunals. Although generally appearing in the company with the Pharisees, he's not one of them, for they represent a religious party, while he has a status and holds an office. Each scribe outweighed all the common people who must accordingly pay him every honor. Nay, they were honored by God himself, and their praises proclaimed by the angels, and in heaven also, each of them would hold the same rank and distinction here on earth. Such was to be the respect paid to their sayings, that they were to be absolutely believed. If they were to declare that the right hand was the left, you were to believe it, or vice versa. The, they had a great influence upon the people. When Jesus says here that they laid burdens on the people, it wasn't just like today maybe, you know, uh, we go to YouTube or we, we watch a bunch of videos and sermon audio, you hear your pastor, maybe you pull up a commentary yourself, and one theologian says one thing and one theologian says another, and, you know, you can pick and choose who you want to believe, right? When these guys spoke, you had to do exactly as they said. And people looked at them as the voice of God in a sense. Many of them did. Now, beyond what the Old Testament laid down as far as the law, the rabbis came up with a series of extra laws above and beyond what the law put down as far as what is required of God, especially concerning things like the Sabbath. There's a, a writing called the Mishnah. The Mishnah had a series of 39 major categories of labor forbidden on, on the Lord's Day, but each of these 39 categories had hundreds of subcategories, according to one source. And by the way, this is from a, uh, a myjewishlearning.com. So I'm, I'm using a Jewish source for how to interpret what they're saying. Um, by the way, the Mish, as far as I know, the Mishnah was written about the year 200. 
but it recorded the tradition that was handed down all the way back three centuries before Christ came. But here's an example of a modern Jew telling us what are some things forbidden. Um, it, 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 it talks about things that were forbidden, types of work that were forbidden because it's somewhat related to the construction of the tabernacle. Any kind of labor that resulted in the construction of the tabernacle, sewing, cutting, building, breaking, tearing, these things were forbidden because it related to somehow the building of the tabernacle in the wilderness. So therefore it was not permissible. Okay. These are all the things, if you're a Jew right now, that this my Jewish learning would, would say you shouldn't do. Adding fresh water to a vase of cut flowers, because that's cultivating. Uh, making a bouquet of flowers. Separating fruit from, uh, that's spoiled from good fruit. Uh, brushing mud from your boots or your clothes. Cutting hair or nails. You better not get a cuticle in the Lord's day. Um, applying makeup, braiding hair, drawing blood for a blood test, rubbing soap to make a lather, applying the face with cream, polishing shoes, scouring powder used to rub and clean utensils, sharpening a pencil, painting, drawing, writing, typing, tearing, uh, using scissors, um, cut, opening an umbrella because it's, it's, it has a remnant of building to it. You're making a canopy by opening an umbrella. Um, using a telephone because it has electricity, which is similar to lighting a fire. Flipping a switch on and off, because when you flip a switch on, you light, it's like you're igniting a, a fire. Uh, switching it off because you're like extinguishing the fire. By the way, you know what one of the things they use to get around this? Timers. They use dial timers so that that way when they go in their house, they don't have to flip a switch to turn the lamp. When they walk in the house, and they get back after lunch, after synagogue, or, I mean, well, they don't do it on Sunday. Well, yeah, on, on their Saturday, when they get home after synagogue, they walk in, the timer will t flip the switch to turn the lights on so they don't have to worry about flipping and breaking the Sabbath. Um, adjusting a watch, setting a watch or winding a watch, um, wearing eyeglasses in, unless they're permanently required because it's carrying something, um, and many such things. Isn't that miserable? Totally miserable. So even today, they, they have modern-day Jewish scribes who are still laying men down with burdens hard to bear. Do you think they, they keep all of these things themselves? I highly doubt it. Neither did the scribes in the days of Christ do it, and neither did... Do the modern-day scribes or lawyers of our day do it? Brothers and sisters, I love the rich theology that we have in our Westminster Standards, especially the Westminster Confession of Faith. And when we look at our standards, the documents are to tell us right doctrine about what to believe concerning ourselves, what to believe concerning God, the nature of God, the triune God, the nature of salvation, but it also has very practical things about preventing legalism. Uh, Westminster Confession of Faith, chapter 20, section 2 says this, God alone is Lord of the conscience and hath left it free from the doctrines and commandments of men which are in anything contrary to his word or beside it if matters of faith 
or worship. Now, having said that, if you do go to the larger catechism regarding how to keep the Ten Commandments, um, it's pretty extensive writing there about how the, the, the Westminster divines interpret how we are to keep the moral law. But that is very fair, very wise, very reasonable in comparison to the Jewish Mishnah. Secondly, the thing that Jesus was rebuking them for was that they approved the murder of the prophets. Look at verses 47 and 48. Woe to you, for you build the tombs of the prophets, and it was your fathers who killed them. So you are witnesses, and approve the deeds of your fathers, because it was they who killed them, and you build their tombs. According to Jesus and his divine interpretation or understanding of these men's hearts, he said that they approved the deeds of their fathers. They might have argued, oh, well, we didn't approve of the prophets. If we were there, we might not have done it. But what comes later is the fact that they actually plotted later to kill Jesus. Oh, well, we wouldn't have killed those prophets, yet they ended up killing the eternal Son of God. Not only that, after, Je after Jesus died, rose from the dead, ascended to heaven, um, they go and start persecuting and killing the apostles. So it did prove that they were of the same heart and mind and ways of their fathers that later they did persecute the godly, the holy men, the holy messengers of God, just as their fathers did in the past. Jesus said, because of their sin, that vengeance was upon their generation. In verses 49 through 51. For this reason also the wisdom of God said, I will send to them prophets and apostles, and some of them they will kill and some they will persecute, so that the blood of all the prophets since, since the foundation of the world may be charged against this generation from the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah, who was killed between the altar and the house of God. Yes, I tell you, it shall be charged against this generation. Again, here the guilt is that they would kill Jesus and they would also kill and persecute the, prof the apostles as they did the prophets of long ago. And the guilt that's charged them goes all the way back to Abel in the very beginning of creation, all the way through Zechariah, covering thousands of, peer, uh, thousands of years of a period of history. <coughs> I do want to take a, a closer look at Zechariah, which is mentioned here by Jesus. Let's keep our place in Luke, and we'll turn to Second Chronicles 24. Second Chronicles 24. I'm not going to read this whole chapter, but Joash begins by being a young godly king, but then later on turns away from godliness. Look at verse 20, uh, uh, chapter 24, verse 1. Joash was seven years old when he became king, and he reigned 40 years in Jerusalem. And his mother was Zibiah, 
from Beersheba, Joash did what was right in the sight of the Lord all the days of Jehoiada the priest. Jehoiada took two wives for him, and he became the father of sons and daughters. Okay, this man, Jehoiada, the, the high priest, was key. Once Jehoiada dies, then Joash goes down the pit. And let's, let's look, um, well, uh, verses 8 and following. Uh, he's in charge of helping repair the temple. Very noble, godly thing. Uh, verse 15. Now when Jehoiada reached a ripe old age, he died. He was 130 years old at his death. They buried him in the city of David among the kings because he had done well in Israel and to God and his house. But after the death of Jehoiada, the officials of Judah came and bowed down to the king, and the king listened to them. They abandoned the house of God, the God of their fathers, and served the Asherim, that is a female wooden idol. And they, they served the Asherim and, their, and the idols. So wrath came upon Judah and Jerusalem for this their guilt. Yet he sent prophets to them back to bring them back to the Lord. Though they testified against them, they would not listen. Then the Spirit of God came to Zechariah, the son of Jehoiada, the priest. He stood above the people and said to them, Thus God has said, Why do you transgress the commandments of the Lord and do not prosper? Because you have forsaken the Lord. He has forsaken you. So they conspired against him. At the command of the king, they stoned him to death in the court of the house of the Lord. Thus Joash the king did not remember the kindness which his father Jehoiada had shown him, but he murdered his son, Jehoiada's son, Zechariah. As he died, that's as Zechariah is dying, he said, May the Lord see and avenge. Zechariah, his last words, May the Lord see and avenge. Isn't it amazing that Jesus says, that vengeance from God would be charged against this generation. God did see, God did avenge, but it was many, many, many years later. God heard the prayer of Zechariah, and the answer of what Jesus says is coming is a fulfillment of the prayer of Zechariah, that God would see and avenge. In the destruction of the temple, Jesus foretold in, Ma in Matthew 24, he said that this generation will not pass away until all the things that he mentioned would come to pass, that not one stone would be left standing upon another, that the temple would be completely torn down. And that happened within one generation in 70 AD. Also foretelling the destruction not only of Jerusalem, but the temple as well. Revelation 1, John says this, Blessed is he who reads and who hears the word of this prophecy and heed the things written in it, for the time is near. 
Not all of Revelation, but a great deal of what Revelation tells us is of the destruction coming to Jerusalem and that those who are Christians ought to flee. And you know what? The Christians in the first century listened and fled and were spared the great destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD. So that was the punishment of their approving the death of the prophets, that vengeance would come upon them. Another woe that Jesus mentions is their removing the key of knowledge. Look at verses 52 through 54. Woe to you lawyers, for you have taken away the key of knowledge. You yourselves did not enter, and you hindered, you hindered those who were entering. When he left there, the scribes and Pharisees began to be very hostile and to question him closely on many subjects, plotting against him to catch him in something he might say. Now, regarding God's word being a key of knowledge, I want us to look at Psalm 119. Keep your place in Luke and turn to Psalm 119. Don't worry, I'm not going to read the whole psalm. Psalm 119. Uh, verses 9 and following. How can a young man keep his way pure? By keeping it according to your word. With all my heart I have sought you. Do not let me wander from your commandments. Your word I have treasured, or some translations say, I have hidden in my heart that I may not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord, teach me your statutes with my lips i have told of all the ordinances of your mouth i have rejoiced in the way of your testimonies as much as in all riches i will meditate on your precepts and regard your ways i shall delight in your statutes and shall not forget your word deal bountifully with your servant that i may live and keep your word Open my eyes that I may, I may behold wonderful things from your law. So this psalm teaches us that God's word is like great riches. Riches that we need to hide within our heart. That's a good reason for memorizing scripture. Because when God's word is in your heart, it keeps you from sinning because you remember the word of the Lord. But it's, it's more than that. This psalm teaches that there is many magnificent things that we should have a great expectation in coming to God's Word. When you do your daily Bible reading and you look in God's Word, what a great prayer to pray. Open my eyes, O Lord, that I may behold wonderful things from your law, from your holy Word. Read it with great expectation. Now, I'm confident that the legal experts, the lawyers, the scribes of the days of Jesus, they knew this psalm. They knew the rest of the scriptures. But what happened? Why did they, knowing the word of God, that it has the answer for us, that it is the supreme word, move on to then lose the key of knowledge? the key of salvation, the key of true wisdom. Dr. William Hendrickson wrote this, The very men who were supposed to unlock the Scripture, 
They were burying the law of God under a load of man-made traditions, like the Mishnah. Instead of trusting Jesus Christ, the Messiah, from whom the Father sent, they had substituted salvation by obedience to countless man-made regulations and hair-splitting stipulations. I, I sincerely believe that if these scribes and Pharisees and lawyers were truly searching the Word of God for salvation, they would have seen that it all pointed to Jesus. The Word of God points to Him. When you faithfully search the Word of God, it, it testifies that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, the eternal Son of God, the only means of salvation. If they were reading Isaiah 53, they would have known that the righteous one that was to be sent by God, his servant, would justify many, that he would bear their iniquities. Isaiah 53, verse 11. Now, in their day, they let man-made tradition hide the key of knowledge. We have to be very careful that we don't let man-made tradition hide or conceal anything from our worship and our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Can we absolutely forego all tradition? I think it's very hard. I think it would be almost impossible. But here's the key. Whatever tradition that we have in this church, it needs to be based on the Word of God. For instance, this church has a tradition, a long tradition, of congregational singing. Why? Because time and time again, you look in the Bible, it says, sing praises, sing praises to the Lord. Sing praises. Time and time again, many, many different commands to sing praises to God. That's not just the, the goal of some who are going to give special entertainment. That's the goal of all Christians. God commands every one of us to sing with voices, to give praise to God. Is that a tradition, congregational singing? You could say, well, maybe it's a mandate to try to follow Scripture. But it, you could say it's a tradition. But every tradition needs to be in keeping with the Word of God and directed according to the Word of the Lord. Keep in mind, brothers and sisters, that you are to stay away from anything that hinders your faith in Jesus Christ. He is the only means of salvation. He is the only way of salvation. And anything that hinders you from worshiping and serving Him needs to be avoided. Let's pray together. We thank you, our glorious Lord, for this, your word. And we pray that you would help us to receive and believe and trust your word, that your word would truly be our guide, our light for our path, that your word would unlock unto us the wonderful truths of the grace given to us in Jesus Christ our Lord, the only means of salvation. And help us, we pray, to honor and love and serve you, not according to the ways of tradition of men, but according to your holy word. We ask all these things in the name of Jesus our Lord. Amen.
for our hymn of dedication, let's stand and sing 528, Rejoice ye pure in heart, 528.